and I went to the room and I saw a missed call from the doctor. And I knew. I knew that he was not going to call me to say Happy New Year. And so I just called Bob and said, um, there's a, there's a phone call and I have cancer. Like he told me, come on, there can be a million things. I'm like, no, I know. When I recover from my reconstructions and everything, I start uh, finding a job. Um, and I was teaching at home, uh, private classes. And then my daughter, the last year of COVID really, she told me, why don't we do um, TikTok? It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten in that. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go through that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Stuck inside during the pandemic, Monica Mannion casually posted a TikTok. The posting isn't very unique. Hundreds of thousands of others posted videos similar to it. But Monica's had something special. After making one tres leches cake and recording some of you, Monica unexpectedly found herself with 30 million views, thousands of followers, and a dedicated fan base waiting for her next video. This might seem like an overnight success, but Monica honed her cooking skills over many years in many countries. From Argentina and South Africa to England and China, she's traveled all over the globe starting culinary clubs and forming communities wherever she went. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Monica's passion started long before she boarded her first flight in a home dominated by the heavy scent of roasted chilies and warm broth. Before all of this, I kind of want to go back to your roots in Mexico and talk about what your, like what cooking meant to you um, and what it looked like when you were a kid. I had a beautiful childhood uh, surrounded by love and family, uh, but there was something that really marked my childhood and it was my mother's cancer. She had cancer for over 20, for 20 over, uh, over 20 years. Um, and she was always sick, but at any, any little time that she was feeling better, she was in the kitchen. And that's when my, my aunts and the family used to come and everything was surrounding my food. Uh, I was really um, a child that enjoyed her mom through the kitchen. And that definitely marked my life forever. Yeah. What did the kitchen smell like? Do you have any like specific memories from cooking with your, your aunts and your mom as a kid? Always salsa. The time, like when she was roasting the tomatillos, roasting the chilies, the onions, um, the salsa, the way she did salsas was the best. She uses like so many chilies, like 20 chilies. And so my house was always, you were coughing, but you knew the salsa was going to be very good. Um, and soup, I mean, her, the broth, the chicken, uh, that always told, was telling us, oh, my mom is, is making soup. So I think the salsas and the soup really, um, they, they still spark something in me every time I smell. Yeah. And, and you eventually moved out of Mexico City and moved into like central Mexico. What what started that move? My parents decided to move out north to a small city. It's called Querétaro, two hours north. Very, very tiny. They decided to go. I stay um, because of the school. What was it like staying in Mexico City? Because that's like that's like without your parents and, and all that. <laughs> that was amazing because Mexico City had so many 
things to do for a young girl like me. So I had the time of my life and no control. There was no mom or dad telling telling you what to do. So I was really independent um, uh, at that time. But on the other hand, I can tell you that there was fear to go with my parents because my mom's health was going down. Yeah, what, what was happening? Well, cancer was spreading um, to the point that it you know, we knew she was going to die. So my father called me and said, you have to, you have to come and help me. You have to come and, and enjoy your mom's last year. So we don't know how long she's going to be with us. You cannot escape from this. And it's, it's good for you to come and just be with your mom. So I left, um, everything and I moved to, to my parents' house. And so what was it like coming back to home after so much had changed in your life? It was really hard. One, the fear of seeing your mom dying. Um, two, um, just being independent to suddenly ask permission even to go out. But also uh, realizing that my dad was going to be alone. And to get to know him and get to try to get into his feelings of what what is going to happen? What is going to happen when my mom is not here? So, um, my my sister, my younger sister, she left the school to be able to take care of my mother, which um, that was amazing. For, you know, but at the same time, it was time for her to go to school, so she went back, and I took over a couple of months. You know, you have all this really heavy stuff going on, like on, but um, uh, there there were also people um, that you were still meeting. And uh, could you tell me about a man named Robert? Yes. (laughs) Well, my mom decided to stop chemotherapy. Chemo really makes you feel very sick all the time. So she kind of came to life a little bit, and at least she was awake most of the time. So my dad told me, you know what, you you need a job. You need to start working just find a job because also the money, you know, that we spent during all that treatment was a lot. My dad was really struggling. So I decided to find a job and I applied for a, for a job that I didn't want to take. And, and I, they needed a, uh, an assistant for the, um, for the director uh, that had very good English. So um, I apply and they told me the interview was going to be with, with an American that was uh, working there. Um, and so his name was Robert and he interviewed me and we talked like for two hours. Um, and later on, I just married this Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how did, how, how did, uh, how quickly did you guys get married after you met? Three months. Three we months. Met. <laughs> wow. We met. We worked together a couple of months. Then he asked me out. We dated for three months and he asked me to marry. Were you surprised? When he asked me if I wanted to marry, I said no, because I thought he was joking. And I was like, no, I mean, I don't know you. I mean, you're kidding me. I know because I never saw that coming. But he knew he was being sent to Argentina. So that was also one important, um, you know, uh, issue that he was moving. Um, and I guess he thought I was the one. So uh, in my head, I was like, I'm going to say yes, but who knows? Maybe, maybe nothing happened. My mom and Aunt Robert got along so well. My mom loved him and she, uh, he talked to her about it. And my mom was like, I just, I, I, I want you to marry my daughter. 
and and my mom told me he's in love. So six months later, um, I married in a civil wedding, um, and a year after uh, a church wedding. So yeah, six months. <laughs> but it, it seems like it's working out. So Argentina's still on the on on the the docket of like places that you're probably gonna go. So so what did it look like gearing up for Argentina? My mother died a month after my wedding. Moving to Argentina was very, very, very dramatic and very uh, difficult for me because my family, they were mourning together um, and I was alone. And I'm in another country far away from Mexico. So how how am I going to do this? How am I going to find myself here without her? So I struggled so much during uh, all that time. Um, for probably for a month, I just really didn't even want to walk in the streets of Argentina. I just wanted to cry. Um, and then we got a house and then, you know, life started moving on, but it was hard. How do you get yourself to start moving on? I just needed something for me to feel closer to my family. And, um, so I start thinking about food because in Argentina, there's nothing spicy. There were not chiles there was no nothing really mexican no tortillas nothing and so my obsession of how am i going to recreate certain things with nothing that that started to move my okay i'm going to go here and there to to see if i can find food and it didn't go well couldn't find anything so i asked my dad my dad was coming to visit and i asked him to bring everything cans and maseca for tortillas everything and he came with a big box of cans and chilies and stuff. And I was like dying to cook and me and Bob were so excited. I think that was the spark of me um, saying, wow, how many memories one ingredient can bring to me. It's almost like this, the necessity of need, like wanting that connection. It's like you almost need to cook to feel a connection. And so you, you start getting more and more into cooking. Um, can you tell me when you go to America? Yeah, uh, from uh, I got pregnant. The last year that I was in Argentina, I found out that I was pregnant and, and we didn't have to have the baby so far away from our families. So Bob asked for um, a change to come here to Philadelphia. Um, and I never really knew Bob's family that much. And the, he comes from a super, super huge Irish family. So it was kind of shocking to come. I had a baby and I was by myself pretty much in the hospital. I didn't know what what I was doing, really. Um, the baby was okay and everything went well. But then moving into a house with a baby, I got actually a little bit of depression, you know, postpartum depression. And that was really hard because there was nobody to talk about what's happening. Why do I feel like this? Like, I want to be a mom so much, but at the, at the same time, I feel this sadness inside. So it was everything, not having my mom thinking about, oh my, if I had my mom, you know, she will be helping me. So it was really hard for me. Um, and that's why I started to look into something more spirit, spiritual. I grew up as a Catholic, Catholic school, actually, a very Catholic uh, family. Losing my mom, my religion was not helping me to cope with the thoughts and the feelings. And I just start taking yoga because I wanted to do something different. And I started doing yoga and uh, there was a teacher and she started talking about the living and dying. And I start crying like crazy. 
And she told me at the end of the class, what's going on? What, uh, can I help you? And I said, I, I lost my mom and I don't know how to cope with this. And everything that you were reading opened my senses. And so my teacher gave me this book that is called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And that changed my life forever. Everything. I just devoured the whole book. I read it like twice in English and Spanish. Um, and suddenly Buddhism came to my life. What drew you to it? Like what, what was so profound? It was the, where do we go when we die? Everybody at my mom's funeral was like, oh, you, your mom is, is watching you from, you know, from heaven and your mom is always going to be with you, blah, blah, blah. And that, I, I actually suffer so much from that because I was like, how can my mom be looking down to me and I'm crying all the time and I'm unhappy and I'm just not, not well. I, I struggle so much thinking about that, that when reincarnation came to me and, and learning about the meaning of your life, going to another life, that changed completely because then I understood why my mom died in such a young age and and the way that everything that, that uh, Buddhism explains about dying just made sense to me. And um, who will say that later in life that was going to actually help me so much? So you have this this in, in incredible transformation through Buddhism and you stay four years in America, um, but then you leave. Uh, why do you leave? Well, we worked four years in Philadelphia. I had also my son here. When my son was nine months, they sent us to Mexico and to the same city, to the same company. Uh, Bob was going to be the director there. And so that was so nice because we were expect expecting Mexico. So that is the best. They pay for everything, the house, the schools. And that was amazing. Coming back and bringing my kids to actually go to school, learn Spanish and spend time with my family and their culture. So that was those four years were amazing. Um, and also, I think that they gave me an opportunity to come back a little bit more mature. Yeah. And I mean, you also got into to yoga and, and cooking when you were there, right? You were making like sweet bread. So like, uh, can you tell me a little bit how you, how how that all occurred? Yeah. When I was in Philadelphia, I decided to take the uh, the certification as a yoga trainer. So when I went back to Mexico, I wanted to do that. So I needed to learn all the poses in Spanish. So I need to to do a couple of more hours to be able to teach. But then I was teaching from my house. I had a, a beautiful room to teach yoga and I was famous for that. Uh, but at the same time, there was always the cooking part in the back. I wanted to learn while I was in Mexico. And I, I, can, I love sweet bread. One of the most amazing things in the, in the Mexican uh, culinary world is their sweet breads. So I went to, I wanted to find a school where uh, the panaderos, as we call them, the people that make bread like four or three o'clock in the morning for everybody to have a fresh bread in the, um, in the morning, uh, they, where they were taking classes. So uh, that's the place that I wanted to go. So I found this place um, and I started taking the classes with them. And that was the best ever because it's the first time that I saw my creativity and my my imagination and my my hands going into a doll. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 super exciting. Like you're 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 really developing these skills. So you you're a baker now, uh, and uh, I I, I want to go to England because you would go to culinary school there and 
and become a chef, right? Yeah. Uh, after Mexico, I moved to South Africa, actually. Um, so that was a big change. I was like, where are we going to live? And what are we going to do? And where are my kids are going to go to school? So it was very extreme move to go to South Africa. But then when you get there, and as soon as you land, as soon as you see, as soon as you hear, Africa embraces you in a way that not many countries did to me. Um, I felt surrounded by people that just have love for other people. And they were very kind and very nice. And we, I can tell you that the four of us, our favorite place um, until today is was South Africa. Very nice and beautiful. And I had the opportunity to, um, to explore. We travel a lot, but also culinary, in a culinary way. I found this amazing expat group of women that they got together every, um, every month. They were cooking by country uh, and, and setting beautiful tables. And, and I joined them and one of them told me, you have to go to culinary school. This is what you do, your passion, what you bring is amazing. And, and, and I'm sure that you would love to be a teacher because you love to teach when you teach your class. It's amazing for us. And then I went to England and the, the shock of being in Africa and then moving to England is big. It's like super big. Everything's so expensive. Everything was like very different for me. Most of the women work. And so I was there at the gym just by myself with no friends, with a phone empty. I didn't have any contacts and I got a little bit depressed for a couple of months. Um, nobody to go and explore London, just myself. My kids were pretty much all day in school and my husband working. So again, me was you know, myself was just facing the change and the move, which is very, very dramatic. I mean, move from country to country brings you joy, but it's very difficult and, and it takes time. I started exploring cook, uh, cooking classes, but first I decided to also do my own uh, cooking class. And it was a way to meet people. So again, we had I had 12 women from different backgrounds cooking together every month and then i started exploring and i, we, I knew i was going to be uh, a longer time this time and so i went to cambridge and there was a chef there with a with a school um the culinary school of, of cambridge and i decided to join and um and start start from from the basics that i didn't know i already had a lot of experience cooking because because all these years cooking and and, and taking um, all kinds of uh, cooking classes. Um, but I needed to come to the basics. How does the, the course unfold? How are you liking it? And how do you do? You do? I loved everything. Um, when every time I, I, we knew a new chef, I was just so into the chef. And um, I remember there was this woman that came to teach us some bread, um, a bread class, Italian woman. Ursula Ferrigno, that's her name. And I, I look at her and, and I just thought, oh my God, I've seen her before. So I knew she was uh, she was famous in, in Europe, but I'd never heard of her before. So I went back home and when I left Mexico, my friends um, gave me this uh, box full of presents to remember from them. But I found a book in Spanish and it was Ursula's book translated in Spanish that is called Pan. When I saw the book, I cried so much. I'm like, 
how? How? I am taking classes with this woman. So I took the book to her the next day and I said, you were supposed to be in my life. Look, and she never saw that book in Spanish before. And she signed the book and she, she told me how I'm like, somebody gave me this book in Mexico when I left. And I knew these kind of signs from life. They were telling me you're in the right part. This is what are you going to do? How did you pursue that? Like, how did, how did you try to, to, to make that a reality? And especially because, you know, as your, 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 your time in, you know, Cambridge and England was coming to an end, like, how are you thinking about your future and cooking? Actually, when the, I didn't know when what was going to end, but, um, the school game every Friday, late night, late at night, uh, they were giving opportunities to chefs and students to teach a class. And other chefs and people from outside, from Cambridge, they were coming in and try the food. And so um, one of the teachers told me, why don't you teach a Mexican class? You always talk about Mexican food is not what people think. So show me, show me Mexican food. So I prepare a contemporary class, Mexican contemporary food. Because uh, Mexican food is not tacos and nachos and beans and rice. Mexican food is one of the most important um foods in the world. Uh, but somehow people just think in, about these box of tacos. Um, and so I wanted to show people how can it can be actually a really high and, and beautiful and delicious and uh, gourmet style. So I did this class and I prepared all the dishes and I presented the class uh, in front of 12, 12 people, six chefs, six, six other people random. And I was shaking like crazy. And I just had a shot of tequila before before teaching the class because I was shaking but as soon as they'd say my name like here's Monica Mannion who's gonna teach a class welcome Monica Mannion and they start clapping and everything dropped my nerves everything I just left everything behind and I came out like you know even moving you know my hair like a star I'm like here I am I'm gonna show you what what Mexican food is for me and the class went smooth and everybody, I mean, they cook with you. And so I was here in each table and, and we had the most wonderful dinner, Mexican dinner. And when everybody left, I cry so much in the back. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is, I meant to, I am meant to teach. This is what I wanted to. And so I, I was teaching a couple of classes before I found out that I was moving to China. It feels like, it's like, it's just like a bomb dropped on you. You're like, oh. Like now, how do I recover? Yes. Like, what does it feel like to realize that you are, you're going to China? Like that seems even more of maybe a culture shock than any of the places that you've been before. Every time my husband said, we need to talk, I just knew the bomb was going to be dropped. And I was like, where, where are we going? So I don't know why, but after four years, I already knew something was coming because four years was the limit being in a country. So I knew something was coming, but I didn't know it was going to be China. When he said China, I was like, what? It's like, what? But one thing came to my, to my, to my head, Buddhism. And I said, yes, I need, we need to go. China was a place that was giving me Every single opportunity in my career, but also the, 
the best that can happen to me regarding my spirituality. What did the the career opportunities look like, and what did um, the the opportunities to grow closer to your your faith look like? Um, I arrived there, first country that I do not understand a thing. I cannot read anything. Going to the grocery stores, can you imagine just trying to find sugar and you don't even know how to say sugar and you don't understand anything? So it was a big shock, culturally a big, big, big shock. And again, the kids went to the American school. My husband went to work and here I am facing China um, and everything everything that is a complete is completely different from anywhere else you've been in your life as soon as i met people in the school i asked around who likes cooking i'm gonna do a cooking club and who wants to cook with me and that, that again, was so successful in the last that country. was super like, successful all right let's do it england. again run it back south africa england here you go <laughs> cooking club in shanghai suddenly people eager to be part of my club and people from from other backgrounds and, and other cultures. And so I have here again with 10 women, beautiful women, and we cry, we talk, we share, we love each other. And then I started teaching private classes. Um, and I kind of was um, mouth to mouth. Everybody was just knowing who Monica Mannion was. And they were coming to my classes in my house, which I just loved it. Um, and then suddenly one was in a magazine and they wanted to write articles about me. And then another one had the, a show on the TV about experts in cooking. So they invited me to the TV uh, show and, and I was like in heaven. Uh, and so I went to the uh, Chinese, Shanghainese TV for this show. So I was on TV. Um, and then I met the, the Mexican consul wife. And then, you know, she gave me the opportunity to cook in their uh, residence Um, um for their private event. So my career was going like up, 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 up. And I was so... How are you feeling I about that? I couldn't believe. I was just in heaven. I, I really... I I never imagined China was going to give me this opportunity at the same time that it was giving me a chance to help because I've, every country that I've been, I do charity or I work as a volunteer every single country. And China was also giving me a big opportunity to be a volunteer too. Um, and so everything was going well and amazing in my career. But the busier I was, the less time I was giving my family. So it was like kind of sweet and sour. How did you deal with that or balance that? Well, suddenly I had so much work and I, I was so busy that my kids were eating pizza. And here I am, the chef, uh, trying to teach everybody to eat healthy and I was coming home and I just didn't want to cook. I just didn't have time to cook. So I was I was really enjoying this moment of success, but then really not paying attention to to what really I love, my kid and, and of course my family, my husband. But you don't notice that until until I got a news about my health. Yeah, well, how, how did you get that news? So I was going to Bali for for New Year for um, Christmas with my family, um, and I had my doctor's appointment, and I had a lot of allergies. Um, and um, so I went there, and I told her that I felt a little lump under my underarm, very close to my breast, and I said, you know, this is bothering me. I don't know, should I be worried or not? Um, because I I tend to check myself because of my mom and my grandma also had cancer. 
and she told me, um, yeah, just there's something in there, but I don't think it's something important, but why don't you just go and have an ultrasound and let's, let's check this. So I went there and she saw the ultrasound and she told me, um, uh, I think we need, um, um, a mammogram and I went there and then she told me uh, there's a Scottish doctor coming from Hong Kong and he um, he's very good I want you to see him and take the mammogram and see what he thinks I don't think don't be scared I really don't think it's just nothing but it can be whatever but I don't think it's something bad you know he told me and he's like I don't think it's uh, just don't worry for your peace of mind let's do a, a biopsy uh, so come to Hong Kong and let's do a biopsy um, so I called my husband and said, they want me to go to, to Hong Kong. <laughs> and, uh, this is crazy. We, we leave, that was a Wednesday. We leave on Friday for Bali, but I need to go. So I went, they did the biopsy and he told me, I don't see why you have to worry. So just go. If I don't call you, you know, we'll talk when we come back. So I left, but in the back of your head and your mom with cancer and your grandma with cancer, there's always something. So Christmas went. And December 27th, I was swimming in the pool. My kids were having breakfast. And I was going to take a shower and I went to the room and I saw a missed call from the doctor. And I knew. I knew that he was not going to call me to say Happy New Year. And so I just called Bob and said, um, there's, a, there's a phone call in I have cancer. Like he told me, come on, there can be a million things. I'm like, no, I know. So I called him back and he was like so concerned. He was in India spending Christmas uh, with his family. And he told me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I have to do this call. But I also know that your families are on the other side of the world and you probably need help. And yes, it is cancer. You have breast cancer and I want to take the tumor out as soon as possible, as soon as you come back. So call your family and I'm so sorry that, I, that I'm doing this phone call. <laughs> and then I was like, what? And you know, they say cancer and then you see yourself dead. You know, I saw my mom, so I saw my grandmother. So I was like, this is it for me and I'm going to die. So I call my family and I call both family and my in-laws came right away. Um, to take care of the kids. So as soon as I came back, I went into surgery and they took just a tumor um, and they sent me to the best oncologist in Hong Kong to get a treatment. Um, and because of my mother and my grandmother having cancer um, and the way my cancer was going, it was just no metastasize or anything, but it, it was just uh, very dangerous. So I, I received a very, very, very strong um, treatment. And they gave me the choice of having also Chinese medicine, alternative medicine, uh, along with the chemotherapy, which I said, yes, things were as hard as they were, as dramatic as cancer can be. I was learning every day from everything they do, everything they eat. Why do they eat like that? How, why do you have to eat like that when you have cancer? I mean. It was another world for me and funny, but it was related about food again. So taking my life, a healing part of my life with food. And so, yes, I learned a lot. I took the Chinese diet along my treatment and here I am six, six years later and healed and 
um, and I reinvented myself in a completely different way. How are you going to be better moving forward when you are better? I think that the 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 thing that is number one is I just take a day at a time. When I got the news that I had cancer, the first thing that I thought, other than oh my god, I'm gonna die, it's like okay. Remember that book that you read about living and dying? Remember everything that you learned from that book? Well, this is this is it. You read that book for a reason. Now, can you can you do everything that it, that you read? Can you really put that into your life? And then I start really building. Uh, how do I want to die? And facing the the dying process, like we all should do, because we're all gonna die without fear, but embracing the life to die with dignity as much as you can. So I think that is what changed. And now it's the new me. Um, what I do not want to, to, to bring again, not having time for my kids and for my family. Just really putting a good perspective about priorities. That's what I, that I just want to accomplish. As COVID is coming around the corner, how are you moving, like dealing with it? And, and, and what do you decide to do? Like, what does the shutdown look for you? Before COVID, when I recover from my reconstructions and everything, I start uh, finding a job. Um, and I was teaching at home uh, private classes very happy with a lot of people coming to my house to learn. And I was happy because I was at home with my kids, uh, but still, you know, working. And then I applied to a cookery school. There's a beautiful, there was a, a cookery school in Philadelphia, very famous. And I started working in there. It's the name is Cook. And uh, there's a lot of the chefs and the East Coast teaching there. And I just applied and they took me and I was the happiest girl uh, teaching in there. And suddenly uh, COVID came and everything shut, shut it down. So <laughs> nobody wanted to come. I, I couldn't go. So everything changed for everybody. I started working in a hospital for, for a year as a medical interpreter because I already uh, was doing my certification. So I, so I work um, at the hospital helping um, doctors to communicate with patients during COVID, which it was meant to be. And again, I'm doing a volunteering, but this time as a job, not a volunteer, but as a job. Um, and then my daughter, which she was already um, uh, in this social media uh, thing. I had a small Instagram uh, bilingual, which was not really taking over because of being bilingual and not really. Some people don't like that, but I just kept showing what I was cooking and, and, and showing pictures uh, on Instagram. And my daughter told me the last year of COVID, really, she told me, why don't we do um, TikTok? And I was like, no. Uh, it's just too noisy. It's for younger people. They dance, they scream. I just don't want to do this. Not at all. She told me, no, there's a lot of cooks and I think it will be good for you, for Instagram and, and, and for you to get to, to, to you know, to, to take your name out there, Monica. You have to. She calls me Monica sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so what are we going to do? And she told me, no, go watch TikTok and see what you want to do. You know, see other cooks and see what do you want to do. So I took a couple of weeks looking through TikTok and then looking for cooks and what people were doing. And and uh, some people had a style, other people just were cooking. 
and a lot of views and a lot of followers. So I told Sofia, okay, let's do this. I'm going to do it in Spanish because I want to do something really just in Spanish. Um, and I don't want to show my face. I just want people to see me, my hands in my voice. And because TikTok is so noisy, I want to, when they come to me, I want my voice to be very low and very like slow. So they understand the recipe. Okay. So we did the first video. It was a tres leches cake. Um, and after a couple of weeks, he had millions of views. Right now he has, I think, 30, 30 million views right now. And then uh, we started doing another one and another one and another one and millions and millions and millions of views. And in no time, a hundred thousand followers and then TikTok contact me and then they say, we want you to work with us. And then I was like, what? And then people were following me on Instagram and from 900 uh, followers that I had forever, like in three years, I only got 900 followers. Suddenly it's 37,000 right now and it keep growing every day. And then two plus million on TikTok, which opened the door and has been opening the door for business and amazingly um, a name out there. Uh, a lot of doors are open now in the collaborations and monetizing uh, things that I never imagined I was going to do. Uh, but also um, keeping this simple way of home cooking that gets so much close to my, my family and my mom. If you were to give one piece of advice to someone who wants to have food be more at the center of their life if they're you know trying to be either a food influencer on 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 TikTok or or just like break into the culinary scene what piece of advice would you give to that person if you really are into social media and you want to try it first go deep inside see what do you want and how do you want to and plan write look out there other videos and see what would you like to do i have a lot of young people that are they're joining TikTok and they want to monetize and they want to do this as a business and they all ask me how do you deal with hate that is the number one question i always get how do you deal with the comments and hate which i don't really have much i actually probably don't have like not at all just a couple of comments and i always say once you open the door to reply a comment that is hurting you, then you open the door for them to hurt you more. So you never reply, never reply a comment that is meant to hurt you. And just get inspired, but at the end, just look deep inside. What's in there? What do you like? Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Don. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee Buchanan, Sophia Donner, David Saidi, Ashley Jimenez, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Luis Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan, Harushi Kanauchi, Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, 
and Valencia Lu. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Aiden Ashworth, Nikki McCollum, Sylvie Wong, and Eric Mena. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from Tiffany Dang, Yao Lu, and Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.